Tom Kearney here. A few little technical glitch right here at the beginning. The Tom Kearney Show is on WPTF nightly, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 each night. And we have a uh, potpourri of programs we hope will entertain and edify you. And uh, our longest-running program, our longest-running guest that we have is is uh, Professor Emeritus of Economics at NC State University, Dr. Mike Walden, who continues to be with us, and he's going to be with us for the next hour talking about uh, economics. And I'll have to admit, uh, among my children, so to speak, that is the guest on the show, I, I always enjoy when he comes because it keeps me up on things economic. Truth in broadcasting, Dr. Walden gives me a cheat sheet. He tells me what questions he thinks are important to ask questions about, and I do that. Most of the time, he lets me cheat a little bit and throw one in and kibitz a little bit, too. Dr. Mike Walden, how are you tonight? Good, Tom. Good to talk to you. Likewise. We're having beautiful weather, and yeah. it's probably a nice time to get out and walk around on the campus or walk across Hillsborough Street and this, get this lunch. This is the kind of day we want to somehow package and save and duplicate for the, duplicate for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. I went out this morning. I went to the, the barber shop right across the campus, and oh, I enjoyed man, doing oh, yeah. that, getting out in, in the sun early this morning. We're going to talk about things economic tonight, and I told you I was kind of up to date on some things because I had seen a, uh, an excellent interview with uh, uh, the head, and I can't think of his yeah, name. Dave I used his, part, the head of the uh, Federal Reserve, uh, you undoubtedly know his name. Yeah, Jay, Jay, Jay Powell. Jay Powell. He's the, the, the new guy on the box, so to speak. But we're going to get your view on the situation with regard to economics tonight. And as usual, we're going to take a look at uh, the economic overview of how things are going. Here's the well, the, ball is yours. the uh, last time I was on about a month ago, Tom, we had a, an excellent jobs report from the nation for March. We will actually get that same report from North Carolina this Friday. There's a lag, I think, it's understandable between the national numbers and the state numbers. But in uh, March, we created, or the economy created, I should say. A nine over 900,000 net new jobs, which was very, very positive. Unemployment rate came down a little bit. I think we've, we've nudged it under, under 6%. Um, we still, though, have 8 million uh, fewer jobs today uh, than we had a year ago. So we've got, we've got still some improvement to, uh, to see. But I think there's, there's optimism. Uh, tacky indicators, both of consumers and businesses, indicate that both are, are optimistic. I've said all along, and I've said a number of times in your program, Tom, that this is really a race between the vaccinations and the virus. And uh, right now, I think we're, we're, we're winning on the vaccination side. In fact, I think I heard this morning, was it 4 million people yesterday in the nation were vaccinated? That's an enormous number. And so uh, if that continues, um, I think we're, we're, we're going to be in good shape. Uh, the, one, the one big worry, and this is a medical worry, but it does obviously leak into the economy, is with these variants. There's the, the U.K. variant, which is apparently here, but that our vaccinations will handle that, but we still need to get more people vaccinated. But we have the U.K. variant, and then we have, I think, the South African variant, and that's the scary one because I have read that there's some initial, and I emphasize initial, conclusions by some medical people that the, the vaccines may not block the South African variant. So, uh, so, this, so we're not out of the woods. Um, we, we could still.
happened vis-a-vis COVID, but um, we're getting uh, capacities of places like restaurants and gyms uh, up. We're seeing more people going out. Um, I, I still, if, if anyone wants my personal opinion, this is just Walden's opinion, I, I still wear masks when I'm out. I think that's still important, but I obviously other people think think differently. Um, we've, had, we've had some great announcements here in North Carolina about new businesses, and, and I think actually we'll, we'll come out of this pandemic, the state will, with, I think, our reputation very much intact. But uh, I want to emphasize the post-pandemic economy will be different than the pre-pandemic economy. Not all jobs are going to come back. Not all businesses are going to come back. Uh, there are a lot of things in our economic lives that are going to be different post-pandemic and pre-pandemic. And the biggest thing I worry about and uh, have said many, many times is that we may end up with a situation where we have a lot of folks who find their occupation has either been totally changed or maybe totally wiped out because it's being done by technology or machinery and that we may be looking at a major need to retrain a lot of folks. Um, and, and that means we, we have to call upon our great community colleges, our great, our great universities. Uh, we have to call upon businesses to help with apprenticeships and on-the-job training. So, so that's the part of the economy that, that, that worries me the most in the job market. And what kind of jobs, with what kind of training are we going to see in demand, to use an economics term, post-pandemic? And how is that going to be different from pre-pandemic? Dr. Warren, I get to use one of my favorite words, and it's a word always associated in my mind with, with radio and TV and broadcasting, and that is segue. It seems like it would be an appropriate segue since the word job is one of the words that you've been talking a lot about where we segue to the, to the second question that you nominated for tonight, and that is the fact that I, I believe what you said is that people are having difficulty finding people to hire. Well, this is the ironic thing, and I, as you might expect, I, I still do, and they're all they're all virtual. But I still do a lot of talks, uh, even in my retirement state, with groups. I've got actually two groups tomorrow that I'm speaking to, and uh, most of these groups have uh, come from the business side, but that's not exclusive. But but most of my groups I speak to are are uh, people in business or people affiliated with business or business groups, etc. And one of the things that I am hearing commonly, and, and this has been talked about in the national economy also, is that as, um, for example, restaurants open up and have more business, uh, I will hear from various people that, gosh, I just can't find the people out there uh, to hire. And um, I think that's obviously not what a lot of folks expected. Uh, they expected that... Uh, Again, if you go back a year, Tom, to, to April of 2020, that was the worst month economically of the pandemic. That's when nationally we lost or saw, saw employment drop by 20 million jobs. Here in North Carolina, we saw it drop by 600,000 jobs. And I think most people would think, well, gosh, um, uh, we still have, as I said, 8, eight million jobs not, not there that we had a year ago, and we still have an unemployment rate around 6%. Et cetera, et cetera, you would think that as soon as someone put a uh, for hire sign out, they'd be overwhelmed with workers. Well, that's or potential workers. That that's not apparently the case in all situations. And and uh, but when when it is, that raises a question of why 
and I think there are a couple reasons. Uh, one is that there may be folks who, quite frankly, are still afraid, and, and certainly understandably, of going out, of interacting with other people, uh, particularly if maybe they had the virus or they had a loved one who had the virus and saw how bad it was. So I think there's still some people out there are holding back they're kind of self-quarantining because uh, they, they still hear about the virus. That be one reason. Uh, another reason, uh, with respect to those same people, uh, there could be the fact that in many of our school districts across North Carolina, as people know, uh, those districts, some of them are, are bringing students back part-time, but a lot of them, probably most of them, had at least a period of time where most of their students were learning virtually. Well, if you are a family, uh, parents, and you have children who are going to stay at home and they're going to be uh, in front of a computer trying to learn, someone's got to be there to supervise them, presumably. And so that probably maybe held some people back from going back into the workforce. Um, another reason is that uh, people who, uh, over the last year, were out of work, uh, let's say they were laid off from a restaurant, and they, uh, even though they may have gotten assistance, likely did from from various governmental sources, uh, they, likely that wasn't enough. They may have looked for other work. They may have changed occupations, especially if they could find other occupations hiring. So that could be a third reason. And then the last reason has to do with public policy. And I want to be careful because I don't want to sound uncaring, which I'm certainly not, but um, when the federal government uh, passed the first stimulus package, which was a year ago, it was a $2 trillion package. Of course, we've had several more since then, most recently another another $2 trillion, well, almost $2 trillion, $1.9. One of the things that the federal government did, which I don't think they, they, they ever did in the past, I'd have to check that. I'm, 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 I uh, certainly uh, uh, could, be, uh, could be corrected on that. But one of the things they did was they said to states, states run the unemployment compensation system, on national things. So if someone loses a job, they go to the state, the North Carolina the Employment Security Commission, they, they apply for, for help. And they get a certain amount of money per week based on their job and based on the rules in the state. Federal government said, all right, people do that, but whatever the state's going to give, we're going to put on top of that $600 a week. Now, the latest stimulus package that was passed, I think that was came down to $400 a week. But it is actually the case mathematically. If you are a person who is working, let's say, at a minimum wage job, a lot of those folks are actually better financially being unemployed and drawing that money than going back to work. I mean, it's just a, it's just a math issue. And so we do think, and economists were wor uh, worried about this uh, a year ago. Um, so so um, that, that, I think, has been another issue. Um, and uh, now, of course, these, these packages presumably will, will stop at some point. But there are probably some folks who are, who are in that category, and this is not no blame on them. It's just take, this is the system where they are actually getting more money from unemployment compensation in the state with the federal money on top of that than they could have been working, especially if they're in a, a, a fairly low-wage job. You're listening to Dr. Mike Walden, Professor of Economics uh, Emeritus at uh, North Carolina State University, the William Neal Reynolds Professor of Economics Emeritus, who is our guest regularly, and uh, he's talking about the, the economy and giving you his opinions on it, and he will look at modern monetary theory. I'm looking forward to this right after we take this break. 
in economics called modern monetary theory, or MMT, comes in. And what MMT, in essence, I'm, I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version, says is that if the federal government borrows money, and especially if they borrow, which actually they have done with most of the recent borrowing, not by, by selling bonds to foreign companies, foreign countries, but actually by having the, selling the bonds of the Federal Reserve, and then the Federal Reserve just prints money to fund that. If they do that, the traditional concern was inflation, that printing all this money is just going to create inflation, and we're going to pay for all this in part through higher prices. What modern monetary theory says, look, if that spending, um, well, actually it's based on the first premise it's based on is there's always slack in the economy. That is, we're not using our resources in the economy to their potential. And so uh, MMT, modern monetary theory, says if this, the, this spending, these spending plans by the federal government, albeit using created money, if they will result in putting our resources more efficiently to use, or actually improving the productivity of our resources, particularly people, such that the economy will grow faster and expand to a larger size than it would have without the borrowing, without the program, we can actually uh, pay off the debt, or at least we can pay down on that, and we can more than afford this debt and pay the interest because we're now using the economy more efficiently. So it really boils down to what's the role of the federal government in trying to generate economic growth and what's the role of the private sector. And one more thing, and then I'll pause. It's interesting to me, if you look at probably the last big economic idea that made a splash was supply-side economics, which actually had the same objective of getting the economy to grow faster and bigger. And that was also based on um, generating more debt and borrowing more money. But the, the, the policies were different. The policy was primarily through tax cuts. Dr. Walter, we, we need to go for the, uh, through for the check on the news right now. So hold that thought right okay. there, and we'll come back to that right after we check the news. <laughs> Tomorrow night, my brother Stephen will be our guest, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, the, the Oscars and who may or may not win them and how the awarding of them has changed. They'll be awarded, uh, well, it'll be two weeks from uh, yesterday, two weeks from Sunday night, and uh, Stephen will be with us tomorrow night to talk about, I think, the Best Picture nominees. And uh, Ken Howard, the head of the State Museum of History, will be with us on Wednesday night to talk about some new exhibits that they have there. But tonight... Dr. Mike Walden of NC State University, uh, where he has been an economist for a number of years and is now Professor of Economics uh, Emeritus, is talking about the economy. And just before we went away, he was, I think, rounding up uh, uh, an account of modern monetary theory. Dr. Yes, Walden? Yes, before I get into that, Tom, you're talking about the Oscars. The, uh, my favorite host, and this shows my age, favorite host of the Oscars was uh, Bob Hope. Was, say again, Bob, Bob Hope? Hope? You know, he did it for many, many he did it years. For many, many years, yes. yes. And uh, but they seem to keep changing it of late and changing the way they're doing it. And it's going to be a kind of a uh, what, what, what shall I say? It will be not you know everybody in the auditorium sitting there eating eating dinner and waving at their nominees, but uh, virtual this year. I yes. think is what I. Well, anyway, yeah. I'm sorry I got long winded. I get caught up, but. Um, I think it's the, the way to look at this, and this is sort of the intellectual 
underpinnings, if you will, of what the Biden administration is proposing in the current infrastructure plan that they, they now have before Congress, and there apparently is another one that will come later. But this is the intellectual underpinnings, modern monetary theory. It essentially says it's okay to, to uh, spend money, uh, if, even if you had to borrow it, and even if the Federal Reserve had to print money for you to do that, it's okay to do that, and actually it's, it's, it's worthwhile to do it. If by doing so you improve the productivity of the economy, you grow the economy faster. And the point I was making is that yeah, that can be viewed as a as sort of the polar opposite, at least in terms of the policy, of supply-side economics, which was a big idea. Again, there were actually the, the, the concepts in both of these go back decades, if not centuries, but they've been modernized and, and reinvented. But supply-side economics had the same goal, wanted to grow the economy more, but they did it a different way by saying we're going to cut taxes, have more money kept in the private sector, that will cause the private sector to do things to make the economy more productive and grow faster. So, so the same goals uh, under those two different kinds of intellectual uh, ideas but obviously the means to reach those goals entirely different. Dr. Walden, I think my producer told you that I had bad handwriting for questions number <laughs> Me four too. and five. Uh, it just doesn't seem I don't have enough space on my, my desk here to do that. But actually I think question four has to do roughly with debates over different kind of taxes. Yeah, and, right and, and, and this, 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 uh, this is a part of this is um, – a follow-through with the, the debate that we're now beginning to talk about more, or at least in Washington, with the Biden administration's first infrastructure package. They want to pay for a substantial part of that with higher tax rates on, on corporations and, and perhaps individuals. Um, but oftentimes you'll hear someone say, gosh, if you look at um, what this proposal will do to tax rates and what that proposal will do, that means that someone's going to be paying 80 or 90 percent of their income in taxes. Usually that's, that's not, if you took that, if you took that, uh, accepted that as the total meaning, what, what, what the person is saying is that, all right, whatever you earn, let's say you earn $100,000, the federal government is going to, or all governments, Collectively, you're going to take uh, eighty or ninety thousand dollars of that away, leaving you with over ten or twenty. Usually, that's not the case because when you talk about those very, very high tax rates, they are what economists call marginal rates, and and this is how the income tax works. We don't have a an income tax system, particularly at the federal level, where everyone's every dollar of a person's income is taxed at the same rate. Instead, what happens is the federal government through the IRS, takes your income, let's say we'll take that $100,000, let's say that's your total income. They'll break that up into pieces. They might take, and I can't remember the, the exact uh, mark, mark, uh, categories, just follow my example. They might take the first piece of $20,000, I might take a second piece of the next $30,000, a fourth piece of $20,000, or a third piece of $20,000, or a fourth piece of $30,000, and each of those pieces has its own tax rate. The, 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 the first dollars would be taxed at the lower rate, and then the last dollars in the upper category would be taxed at the higher rate. So we, usually when you hear these extraordinarily high tax rates that people are talking about when they're debating 
income tax proposal, and by extraordinarily high, I mean something above 50, like 60, 70, 80, or 90. That doesn't mean all income, all dollars in your income would be taxed at. It means the top portion, whatever that top portion is or top category is, would be taxed that rate. Now, this isn't, I'm not defending or, or opposing this. I'm just saying that, that um, sometimes in the media, especially not, not your media, Tom, but sometimes in the media, things get simplified, and there's, there's often a more complexity behind it. Now, question five has to do with taxes, too, doesn't it? It does. Um, as, I, as I said a moment ago, the um, um, $2.3 trillion uh, Biden administration infrastructure package, a large part of that uh, the president and his, and his administration are proposing would be paid for by increasing the corporate income tax. Now, um, there has been a long, long history of economists, and they don't all agree on this, but they, 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 you can certainly make the argument, history of economists saying that corporations are not, a corporation is not like a person. A corporation is a way of organizing economic activity. Uh, and that said, a corporation doesn't really pay taxes. Instead, it's going to take taxes as some kind of cost that it's going to make others in, that the corporation deals with, um, with pay that tax. So, for example, um, if a corporation ABC uh, has to pay a corporate income tax of 20%, that means that the profits of the corporation will be taxed at 20%, and that money will go to the federal government. But the point is that the corporation doesn't have a face. It's not a person. It's made up of shareholders, it's made up of workers, and there's also a third party in this, people who buy products from the corporation. So the argument that many economists make is that um, the corporation, that 20000 in my example, that the corporation is going to pay in federal income taxes, that is going to effectively be paid for uh, by, perhaps, shareholders, people who own stock in the corporation, um, getting less money, or workers getting less money, or buyers of whatever the corporate is making paying higher prices. And the latest research that um, that I've seen, where and there have been tons of research on this, but the latest research I've seen indicates that the portions are about a third, a third, a third. It is the the twenty thousand, my example, whatever the corporation pays in, I say, a federal income, federal corporate income tax that a third of that effectively is going to be paid for by shareholders getting less or workers getting less or consumers of the product uh, paying, paying more. So um, my experience, Tom, is when, I, when I've taught students about this and, we, and I would bring up corporations, I think what many people think is whomever the CEO of a corporation is, that person is the corporation. And that person is earning all the money of the corporation. And, and of course, then to say, well, corporations should pay tax, they say, well, sure, that, that big uh, CEO is making millions and millions of dollars. Of course, that person should pay a tax. Well, what happens in the real world is CEOs of corporations, they're, 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 they're a hired hand, just like the workers are. And they may get an enormous salary, but they're hired by the corporation. And, of course, their salary they pay taxes on at a personal level. 
So um, um, this is not to be for or against the corporate income tax, but it's a little more complicated, and I, and I, do, I do think that oftentimes it is mistaken because people put a face on the corporation, and they think that the face, oftentimes the CEO, is the person who's earning all the money that the corporation gets, and therefore they say, well, of course that person should pay taxes on that, when indeed they do uh, earn money at the salary, and they do pay taxes on that at a personal level. But now the corporation is actually paying uh, more at the first at the corporate level. So uh, people can take that as they see fit, and my guess is this will come up uh, when the um, uh, Biden administration 2.3 trillion infrastructure plan, because it is going to be would be financed uh, dramatically by higher corporate income taxes. People will hear this what I just said as, as part of the debate. I want to ask you a Tom Kearney question here for a moment. It may be inappropriate. It may be something that you might want to come back next time and talk about. But I've been listening to the vibrations. It's kind of like the drums that are being played having to do with the the, the shortage of housing and the fact that, the, that there's just not very much housing that, that people want to buy and people have money and want to buy housing, but they can't find any housing. And the reason this has resonated with me, and I don't know that it's really the same thing, but people keep calling me up wanting to buy my house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, a couple things here, Tom. And, of course, economists, whenever I get a question like that or any economists get a question like that, our brain immediately goes to two places, supply and demand. Um, on the demand side, particularly in Raleigh, we are one of the fastest growing areas in the country. Uh, I think in the last decade, um, I think this is a, for the triangle, not just Raleigh, but of course Raleigh's the dominant city in the triangle. 260,000 people uh, represented. That, that we had an increase in population of 260,000. That's enormous for any area over a decade. And of course, it takes time to build homes, and people don't want a home anywhere. They want a home that's close to work, close to activities that they want. Uh, in Raleigh, if you can get a home inside the Beltline, I mean that's kind of the uh, kind of the, uh, the prize. So, so the fact that our area has been growing so fast—that's one thing. Another thing affecting uh, this is the fact that uh, interest rates are extraordinarily low. Now they have come up a little bit, but they're extraordinarily low. So even though a house costs more, and you got to finance more, if you're financing that at three percent rather than financing it at uh, 12%, which I think was the first mortgage rate I had. Obviously, that makes the higher price more affordable. And then, like everything, um, construction has been influenced by the, by the by COVID, even though construction was deemed an, an essential service and contractors and builders kept going. Uh, still, they lost people to illness, and there were supply clogs, et cetera. And... Um, and uh, that's, that's worked its way down through the supply chain. I think anyone who's done any kind of construction, maybe even just home repairs, know how, how high the lumber prices have gotten. And that's a complement of, of uh, snags created by COVID. So you have, you have a perfect storm here, a mix, if you will, of increasing demand. Oh, I also forgot to throw in the stimulus checks that a lot of people got. That helped them. And many people were working at home. They wanted to maybe buy a bigger house or add on. Um, they have a perfect storm of demand increasing that has more people wanting to buy homes. And then you have on the supply side, supply not, not being able to keep up. You're going to get, that's a recipe for higher prices. Now, the big question is, in fact, I'm speaking to a group of builders on this tomorrow. Uh, big question is, is this, is this the new normal or will we 
uh, lumber prices will come down somewhat, and maybe even demand will back off a little bit as uh, as, as higher interest rates maybe take some people off the market. Well, Michael, as we slip out to our break here now, you and I must have bought our houses about the same time because you said 12%. My, my first house was my first loan started out at 11.75. Capital, which would be the personal people part, or physical capital, which would be the roads, 
can make an intellectual argument, I think, that that the term infrastructure can be can be broadened and include spending on programs that make people more productive in terms of improving their skills, improving their capabilities, maybe making their home life easier so that they can concentrate on their work, et cetera. So, and again, that's not to promote uh, the $2.3 trillion spending, but I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an intellectual argument there to be made that, that uh, confining infrastructure to just physical things is probably outdated and, um, and, and that you can easily justify including spending on programs that make people more economically efficient and productive. Well, Dr. Wallen, you wrapped it up in a nice and neat package. Oh, because we're, we're just about out of time tonight. We will look forward to hearing from you in about four weeks. We usually have, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, Dr. Wallen visits us about every four weeks in the middle of the in the middle of the month, and uh, it's kind of a floating day. But we'll look forward to have him again to talk about things economic. Thanks again, Dr. Wallen. Thanks, Tom. Good to talk to you. Bye bye. And uh, we will uh, talk to you tomorrow night following the 9 o'clock news. Stephen Kearney will be our guest, and we will talk about uh, the Best Picture nominees for the Oscars. And uh, they will be awarded on, I think, April 25th.